0: Amen. Well, thank you worship team. That was wonderful. Uh, it was great to be in the house of the Lord singing together uh, about our great Savior. And uh, welcome all of you who are here in the room. Welcome to those of you who are online. We're so glad that you are setting apart this time uh, to connect with God, to connect with each other, and to worship Him together. I got to tell you that uh, That little video, um, we call that a sermon bumper video, uh, really highlights the value of God's Word and everything that it is to us, and everything that's available to us when we spend time with it. But just like so many things in our life, the, the value comes from the time that we spend in it. It doesn't, just owning a Bible doesn't bring all those things into your life. It's the time that you spend in God's Word that unlocks all of that. And uh, it's, it's something we're talking about here at the beginning of the year because the lack of Bible engagement is plaguing the church. It's plaguing Christianity as a whole. So many people that would raise their hand and say, yes, I'm a Christian, aren't spending time in God's Word on a regular basis. And it shows. And, and most people spend more time on social media and newspapers and blogs than they do in the Word of God. And we see the evidence of that in our culture. We see it in our daily lives. And and we trade all the things that that video just held up that God's Word makes available to us. We trade all of those for anxiety and fear and regret and despair and sin and the guilt that follows it and the shame that follows it. And we set aside this perfect gift that God gives us and we exchange it for something else. And so uh, since I got here, I've talked about reading your Bible and encouraging people to read their Bibles, encouraging people to be in the Word on a regular basis. Uh, I wanted to start this year again with that emphasis and with that encouragement Um, for a number of reasons. One, you know, it's a new page in the calendar. It's a new page in life in a lot of ways. Uh, Many of us are very, very happy to say goodbye to 2020 and to welcome in 2021. But I can tell you 2021 will not be significantly better than 2020 if we don't do some things to make it better. And I wrote in our Friday update, which we sent out on Thursday because Friday was a national holiday, that if you get closer to Jesus in 2021 than you have ever been before, i got a pretty good feeling that's going to make 2021 the best year of your life. And that even though 2020 was a train wreck in so many ways, I know people that got closer to Jesus than they've ever been before and can honestly say that 2020 was the best year of their life because of that. And I don't want to minimize a global pandemic and there have been lives lost and there have been people who have said goodbye in our opinion, far too soon. So I'm not minimizing that, but I'm saying that in spite of that, if we get closer to Jesus than we've ever been before, then each year has the potential to be the best year of our life. And that's my hope and my prayer for you. And when we talk about engaging Scripture, there's a reason that I talk so much about that because there's actually a lot of research that shows just how profound regular Bible engagement is in the life of a believer and I've shown this video at least once before if you've never seen it this should probably blow your mind if you've seen it before you'll kind of nod and say, oh yeah and then you'll be reminded and you'll think gosh that's pretty powerful that's pretty profound so we're going to show a video uh, from the Center for Bible Engagement um, it, it's the results of, of some research that was done that's really quite profound I won't keep talking about it I'll let you watch it and then we'll we'll talk about it afterwards but uh, go ahead and play the video
1: there was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 uh, p- uh, general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80. And they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. It, they weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, when we're in the Scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday. That's pastor saying, you're open your Bible. We hear the message. One time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map. Like there was a heartbeat, something happened again, a heartbeat. But here was a profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. alcoholism drops 57%, Crazy. feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, If there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in scripture? If they're in the scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's
0: very important.
1: Now on a flip positive side, sharing your faith jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word and then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, that's amazing right there.
0: So you kind of see what I'm talking about. And the thing that, that stood out to me the most from that study, that video and the research was this line on this slide, and you can go to this website and you can research. There's papers that have been written, like scientific, psychological papers. You won't be able to read that, but I'll read it to you. Uh, The part that's underlined says, the lives of Christians who do not engage the Bible most days of the week, four or more, are statistically the same as those of non-believers. So they polled all these people, are you a believer, are you not a believer, what's the presence of these things in your life, and people that aren't in the Word at least four times a week, four days a week, the majority of the week, there's almost no statistical difference. It's negligible, and yet I know that there are so many people that identify as Christians but don't spend time in God's Word on a regular basis, and they wonder, why don't I have the experience that 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 I read about in the Bible. Why don't I hear God speaking to me? Why, why, why? And I often ask that same question, if that's the, the conversation I'm having. How much time do you spend in the Word? And what, what, is, what does that look like for you? Because oftentimes I say, well, you know, I'm in a Bible study, or I, I go to that occasionally, or I do this, or I do that. But I like the, the term Bible engagement. Are you really engaging Scripture, I'll ask? And they say, well, no, what does that look like? And I say, well, yeah, it's good to read it. It's even better if you fully engage in what you're reading. And the best tool that I have found, and I've been talking about this for a little over a year now, is this banding together journal. And I see some people smiling because they're doing it, and they've been doing it for a while, and they've thanked me for it. Um, But this journal, and we even got them now with Linwood's logo on them, so you don't forget that you go to Linwood um, if you get one of these, which is cool. Um, This is a phenomenal tool. It's got a Bible reading plan that takes you through the New Testament, and a fourth of the Old Testament every year. So every year you're reading the New Testament. Every four years you're reading the Old Testament. And that in itself is pretty stinking cool. But it doesn't stop there. It goes to a journal, and this is sort of the heartbeat of it. It's a journal where you can write out the date, the title, if you want to title it, and the Scripture that you're focusing on. So each day you read your chapter or two of Scripture, and you can literally do it in five minutes most days. And then you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, through something that you read, and you focus on one or two or three verses. And yeah, that's what you start with. And there's an acronym, SOAP, S-O-A-P. SOAP stands for Scripture Observation Application Prayer. And so you write out the Scripture, you write out a few observations, you write out an application in your own life, and then you write out a prayer. Now that, that is engaging Scripture. That is fully engaging God's Word. And the thing that's so powerful about it is that you're spending this time one-on-one with God, and the journaling, the actual writing it out is so powerful because it slows you down. And I've talked about this before, but I I said it in the first service in a way that I never really said it before. I don't feel like God speaks to me at the speed of thought. He speaks to me at the speed that I can write. See, I can think a thousand words a minute. Anybody else? I can think three or four different lazy Susans cycling around. It looks kind of like the atom cloud, if you've ever seen a a, a molecular structure of an atom. There's the little cluster, that's me, and then there's all this stuff going on all around it. That's the speed of thought for me. And God doesn't speak to me at the speed of thought. Maybe He speaks to you at the speed of thought, but I kind of doubt it. But He does speak to me at the speed that I can write. And a pastor friend of mine in Indiana wrote something on his Facebook that was so powerful about journaling, and I wanted to share it with you. He says, there is something holy in the unhurried time that it takes to write, something profound in the simplicity of everyday moments, something glorious in listening deeply. Now, people used to write a lot more, pen in hand, paper in front of them. As we become more and more digital, we write with our thumbs and we write with our fingertips on a keyboard uh, far more than we write with a pen in our hand. But I want to encourage you to make this a daily practice, minimum four times a week. Make this a practice in your life and see what happens. I don't know if you're in the habit of giving gifts at Christmas. Most people are. Maybe you've got something you really like. Every now and then I meet somebody that gives themselves a gift, at Christmas you know, they actually go out and buy it and wrap it up and put it under the tree and it's a gift to themselves I don't know if you do that I don't do that I won't comment on the sanity of doing that but I will encourage you if you didn't give yourself a gift at Christmas there's a gift you could give yourself today that would change your life in more profound ways than you can possibly imagine if you're not already doing this some of you are already doing this I look across the room and I see people that are doing it and it makes me smile and I I want to encourage you, if you're not spending time in God's Word every day, engaging it, slowing down and writing about it, writing the Scripture out, writing the observations out. I'll model that in a few minutes uh, with one of my own journal writings, but I want to encourage you to do that, and I want to encourage you to just start. Start today, and then just keep going. Two things, two steps. Just start, and just keep going. And if you do those two steps, you're going to be in for a real treat. And then you have another option. Maybe you're already doing that, or maybe you've done that a little bit, hit and miss, and you can make that more consistent. The other thing that you can do that goes with this is what we call banding together groups. And these are groups of three to five people. They're intentionally kept very, very small. And people ask me, why they got to be so small? I thought we wanted things to get big. And it's like, no, we want them to stay small and multiply. And there's two reasons for that. The first is you will say things to a group of three or four or five people that you will not say to a group of eight or 10 or 12. And we need to be transparent with a small group of people in our lives. That's part of just health, emotional, spiritual health. And the second is that the groups are intended to multiply, that, that we don't want groups of six or seven or eight because once you get a group of six, you could have two groups of three. And once you have two groups of three, they could grow to groups of six, and then they could multiply into groups of three, and, and you see how it goes. And, and Jesus' movement was a multiplication movement. That was the whole intent, was that it would multiply and multiply and multiply. And my dream, my vision, my hope for Linwood is that we would be a church of little groups that are meeting together on a regular basis. And, and then as they do that for 12 or 18 months, they multiply And there's more and more and more groups. And 10 years from now, there's hundreds of groups in Sioux Falls that trace themselves back to what we started last year in 2020. And that more and more and more people are in a regular habit of spending time in God's Word every day, and then meeting once a week or a couple times a month. We don't try to go beyond, you know, every other week. We want you to be at least every other week, ideally, or every week. You meet for 60 to 90 minutes, and the, the, the journal actually has the outline for your, your meeting. You don't have to buy a DVD curriculum. You don't have to hook up a TV. You just Share what God said to you in your journals. You share a journal or two. You have a a trained facilitator that leads this process. You talk about some accountability. I know, the big A word, accountability. But you don't do all ten questions every time. You just do one or two or three, and, and you share, like, yeah, I'm struggling in this area. Can you guys pray for me? And you have support, and you have somebody that's actually praying for your area of greatest need. And then you spend time praying for the lost, praying for people in your circle of influence that need to know Jesus. They need to know what you know about Jesus. And as you pray for the lost, you're a lot more likely to share your faith with the lost. It's, it's intentional. And so that's the group meeting, and we're hearing good things from the people that have done this. I have yet to have somebody catch me on my way out to my car, you know, with their bare knuckles and say, I can't believe you got me in that journal, and you got me in that group. It's the worst thing that ever happened to me. It's miserable. I hate it. I hate every minute of it. I can't believe I wasted so much time on it. I have yet to hear that. I haven't heard that once. I have heard some really cool stories about people that said, It's I was reluctant at first. But I got into it and I, I made a priority and I did it and next thing you know I'm like waking up before the alarm and I'm thinking, Oh, I get to go. Spend time with God first thing in the morning. Or I'm looking forward to the end of the day when I get out my journal and I hear from God and I interact with his word and I engage it. And then I look forward to my group meeting where I can share what I'm hearing. I can hear what other people are hearing. And they write down on a totally different verse. Or sometimes we write down on the same verse, but we, we hear two totally different things. It's, it's amazing. Somebody even put it in their Christmas letter. That was like one of their bullet points for their Christmas letter was I started journaling every day and then meeting with a group. And I was like, yes that is awesome. That is exciting. And so we have created a night of worship and sharing on Wednesday the 13th, so about a week and a half from now. And I want to encourage you to come. Some of you remember the old church services where you pass the mic around and you share and give a testimony and a word. We're going to start with a couple of songs, and we're going to kind of do that. We're going to pass the mic around, and you can share your experience. And if you haven't, don't have any experiences, you can come and listen and you can share a prayer request, or you can say, hey, I'm going to take this plunge. I'm going to take this step of faith, and I want somebody to come alongside me and pray with me, or, or however that is for you. But you have an opportunity to come and listen. We'll be online as well. So if you can't come to the, to the church for that on the 13th at 6.30, you can join us online. We'll make that available to you. There's also going to be a disciple maker training. So if you're listening and you maybe you've been doing the journaling and you've been going to your group and you've been thinking and praying about being a part of leading a group, then there's going to be a training on the 17th, two weeks from today. And we'll buy you lunch. We'll go through. We'll equip you to lead your own group, to lead a group of, of people in this process. And uh, it's interesting. You might remember, if you were here last year, we kind of had a fun little time. We had no idea what was coming, but in January, we launched this 2020 focus on discipleship. And the 2020 focus on was blurry, and this little play on 2020 vision, and the discipleship was crisp and clear. And we maintained a focus on discipleship, and the majority of our sermon series were oriented towards that And so as I was thinking and praying about what would be our focus for this year, I want to share it with you. I'm so excited about it. It's 2021. Focus on disciple-making. It's almost the same, but we're shifting from focusing on the noun, discipleship, to focusing on the verb. It's active. It's dynamic. We're focusing on making disciples. We're focusing on disciple-making. And there's a website that you can go to that's unique to Linwood. It's it's tinyurl.com slash... Linwood Discipleship. You go to that website. It's a form that you fill out. You let us know how we can help you take the next step in this. Maybe it's helping you find a group. Maybe it's helping you lead a group. Maybe it's a lot of different things, but there's four or five different options there, and that will help us to know how to help you, and you'll get one-on-one attention with this. And so as we focus on disciple-making this year, as we focus on the action of making disciples, we've got to know what a disciple is. We've got to know what discipleship is. It's kind of this big church word that's easy to get lost in, and we have to know what disciple-making is. So the best definition I've ever heard of discipleship, and I've shared it before, it's Dallas Willard's dis- definition, which says that it's learning to live my life as Jesus would if he were me. That's what discipleship is. And there have been whole books and papers written on this idea of discipleship, but at the boil it all down, it's learning to live my life as Jesus would if he were me. That's what discipleship is. And so if Jesus was the pastor of Linwood Wesleyan Church, married to Heather, father to four boys, and all the different relationships that I have and the different roles and responsibilities that I have, discipleship is learning how Jesus would live in those relationships, in those roles, if he were me. And so maybe you're a retired school teacher or maybe you're a nurse or maybe you're a lot of different things. Maybe you're not married. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're widowed. Maybe a lot of different things. But wherever you are and whatever relationships you have and whatever roles and responsibilities you have, discipleship is learning how to live as Jesus would if he were me. And this journaling has become an indispensable part of that. I brought all my journals up here and this is kind of cool. So um, I'm not going to read them all to you. That would take a little too long. <laughs> But I'm going to tell you, this represents 2009 to 2017, right here, this amount. That's journaling for me. And something amazing happened in April of 2017. In April of 2017, I became a -a page-a-day journaler. And so this is the next four months. I just sat down every day and I wrote a page. And I wasn't even connected to Scripture at the time. This was just like, I'm reading books, I'm reading, I'm trying to... I got a little off track and a little messed up going into that, got real depressed, just couldn't be happy, couldn't find God, couldn't hear God. I start writing every day, and it started to really change my life. And then I filled this one, so I went to this one, and then this one, and then that one, and this one, and this one. And at the beginning of last year, I started the Banding Together. So this is my first Banding Together journal from last year, back when it had just the plain cover. And I was like, well, I don't want to give up on journaling just thoughts and prayers. But I don't know if I always have time, so I made this the priority. Five, six, seven days a week, I'm in here. I'm spending time in God's Word. I read a chapter every day. Sometimes I don't have time to journal, and and so that's okay. This isn't isn't legalism. This isn't like, oh, you're going to be extra careful if you didn't do your journal in the last 24 hours because you might be in trouble if you died. It's not like that at all. It's it's time that you get to spend with your Heavenly Father just sitting together and He can speak to you. And so I filled that one and then I started this one. I'm almost full of that one and so I'll probably just keep this one handy and dive right into it. And so I made that the priority and then I have another one that I do whenever I have an extra 15 minutes. I'll do that one as well. And, and let me tell you, like God's Word has come alive in a new way and I cannot really even imagine what would happen If every single person that calls Linwood Wesleyan Church their church home would spend four or five times, six, seven times a week in God's Word, reading the same things, we're all reading the same scriptures together, we're all meeting in groups together, we're all engaging in scripture with pen and paper together and hearing from God, I can't imagine the unity and the alignment that would come from that if we would do that. And so I'm going to do my best to help that become a reality. In fact, as I went through this journal last year and through that reading plan, there's a review at the end of each month, and so I'd look at the review, and I'd notice, you know, little entries that I had starred or things, conversations we'd had in our discipleship group, and I started to see themes, and I got this idea. It's like, I could preach the whole year just on these themes. So now we're not just reading the same things and meeting in groups together. When you come through these doors on on Sunday morning or when you log on on Sunday morning, you're going to hear a message about something that you just read or something that you'll read in the next week. That's my parameter. I've got a 14-day window every Sunday, and that's going to be the focus. So even today, you're going to hear a message from Luke chapter 7 that you're going to read about on Wednesday or Thursday, whichever day it is. I think it's Thursday. But either way, you're going to have an opportunity. To, to learn and grow in your one-on-one time with God, in your transparent space with, with your small group of three to five people. And then when we gather together on Sundays, you're going to hear a message from something you just read or something you're about to read. And I just get excited thinking about what God could do, the dreams that could be birthed as we're reading together, as we're listening together, as we're discussing together, as we're hearing from each other together, and as we're opening up God's Word on Sunday morning. I get excited about what God could do through that. And so we're going to start today with a message series titled, Say What? Say What? When I looked back over Luke and Acts, when I did my reviews in January and February of last year, and I looked at the entries and the things that God was saying to me, I was like, it could be a pretty cool little sermon series about Luke and Acts, you know, right together, say what, with a, an exclamation point and a question mark and an exclamation point, because some of the stuff we read about, honestly, if we see it with new eyes, it's almost unbelievable. Like the miracles that Jesus does. Like, we just spent a month going through Advent, and we're talking about God with us. That is a miracle. Jesus coming to earth. It's worth every celebration we have ever given, every moment we have ever given to praising God that He would come and leave the perfection of heaven to enter our dirty, smelly, stinking, fallen world so that that fallen world could come into heaven, so that we could come into a relationship with God the Father who loves us and sent His Son to die for us. And so there's a say what element to the Gospels, to the stories that we read in Acts. Like, really? Did that really happen? A virgin birth? Say what? You get the, you get the picture. And beyond that, you know, He changes water into wine. He has these miraculous catches of fish. He drives out demons. He's got these feeding miracles and these healing miracles. And he even raises people from the dead. And let's not forget about the resurrection. Like all that is just in the first month. That's not even the whole year. That's just in the first month, one chapter a day. You'll read about all of that. And you might say, say, what? Really? But there's also the message. It's not just the miracles of Jesus. It's the message of Jesus can cause us to say, say what? Like when the angels announced it to Mary and Joseph, we just talked about this, or when they announced it to the shepherds in the field, it's like, say what? Really? That's happening right now? And then Jesus, you know, he has his interchange with Satan and he goes to his hometown and he inaugurates this ministry and he's got these teachings and some of these teachings are, you like, say what? I'm supposed to love my enemies? I don't get to hate them? They hate me, why can't I hate them back? Say what? And these parables that maybe we don't always catch them on the first go round. Things like don't judge in the same manner that you judge others. They're going you're gonna be judged. Some of the messages that Jesus had are. are it's good to engage that. It's good to talk about that. It's good to learn. It's good to get your study Bible out and say, well, now what's really going on here? But there's, there's also exclamation points in the sermon title. And the exclamations, it's the command. It's to say what. It's to say what God is doing in your life. It's to say what and give praise to Him. It's to meet with your small group and say what God is saying to you. And then to go out into your workplace, into your neighborhood, into your family, with your friends, and say what God is doing in your life. Say what God has done for you. That's a testimony. Where you say, this is what my life was like before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. This is what it's been like since then. That's a testimony. We're supposed to say what God is doing in our lives. Both Luke and Acts, That you know, there were actually one book originally, two volumes, one book, same author. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the Acts of the Apostles to follow that. It's the story of Jesus coming into the world. And then the people, the closest followers of Jesus, taking the message of Jesus into all the world. And both of them have miracles, both of them have teachings, and both of them have the command to go and to share and to speak about what we have seen and heard. And so I want to model this for you today, and this will be, don't worry, I'm not going to launch into a 30-minute message at this point. Um, But I do want to kind of give you a, a little bit of a taste of what this is like. And so if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Luke chapter 7, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. And then we'll talk about it a little bit, and that'll, that'll kind of end our time. We'll have more like a normal sermon next week, so if you're missing that, um, I hope that, that you come back. Um, but, but this is powerful, and this is profound. And, and even, the, even the image that I chose for the sermon series, it's got dots that start small, and there's just a few of them but they lead to more dots and bigger dots. And, and hopefully we have that on the screen behind me and you can kind of see what I'm talking about. It's like you put Jesus right in the middle of that and you put his 12 disciples and then it's the, it's the message being translated as people say what Jesus has done to them, say what Jesus has done in their lives. The dots get bigger and now those dots represent churches and now those dots represent movements and, and the message continues to spread so that here we are a couple thousand years later. And when I say the name Jesus, everybody in this room knows what I'm talking about. That's amazing. That's because people said what Jesus had done in their lives. They said who he was. They proclaimed it. They declared it. And so here's, here's Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, it's basically Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, when he'd finished that, he entered Capernaum, and there was a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly, was sick, and about to die. the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. Now, interestingly enough, it's not like they convinced Jesus and he wasn't going to come. In fact, so there at the beginning of verse 6 is pretty obviously a mistranslation in the New International Version. Most of the translations translate that as and. And that word in the Greek language is almost always and. It's not like Jesus wasn't going to go and they said, well, he's worthy and he decided to go. It's more like and he went with them. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant. Well, so there's a story. Now, you normally read the whole chapter, and before you read, you just say a little prayer, God, show me what you want me to, the verses jump out at you. And there's almost always one or two or three, and I have to narrow it down. But you've picked something. And for me, it was verse 4 and 5. And so I've got a page in my journal. I want to just share this with you so that you can, you can see kind of how this works. And so on this page of my journal, I actually write out verses 4 and 5, because this is what stood out to me when I read this a year ago, was verse 4 and 5. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. Now, that was a New Living Translation, so I put that in there as well. And uh, then here's the observations, because it's SOAP, Scripture Observation Application Prayer. Here's the observations. I see the contrast between the world's view of worthiness and God's view of worthiness throughout this chapter starting most directly with the centurion and his reputation, but also with the widow who receives her son back, John's reputation with Jesus, and the sinful woman compared to the Pharisee. Those happen later in the chapter. The world's view and criteria of worthiness doesn't match that of the kingdom. So that's my observations. Just write out some observations. Some people bullet point this. The main thing is to take the time to write it out. It slows you down. And sometimes one thought will lead to another thought, to another thought, and they kind of chain together because you slowed down enough to, to write it out. Here's the application. I see this in the church and in society as a whole, and I should have added in my own life. It's easy to observe and to fall into pecking orders and criteria for who deserves time, attention, and blessing from us, from the church, and from God. Jesus says we are all worthy, though. And so that's my, op- my application of that and what the Spirit was saying to me that day. And here is my prayer. Lord, help me to see with your eyes, to realize and remember that all are worthy, but that none of us are deserving of your blessing. Please help me to live this out, secure in my own worthiness, but also communicating others' inherent value to them in your name. So that took me about 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. You read the passage, you write out the passage, you write out some observations, you write out some applications, you write out a prayer. And there's power in writing it down. Because here I am a year later and I can remember that. I can use it for a devotional. I can share it with a friend. It's amazing how often somebody comes to mind and I'll take a picture and send it to them. Say, hey, I just thought this might be a blessing to you. You came to mind as I was doing this. And again, nobody has ever been angry about that. It's a great way to share God's word. And I had originally planned to preach on that. Like that line stuck in my mind well past when I wrote it down in the prayer that all are worthy but none are deserving. Like, we're all worthy of God's love because Jesus says we are. We're all worthy of receiving God's love, but we're not deserving of it. Not because I'm a pastor, I'm more deserving, or because your parents were this, or you do that, or you give there, or you serve here. Nothing makes us more deserving. Paul was crystal clear. It's by grace that you've been saved. Through faith, lest any should boast. It's not of us. It's not of our works. It's what He has done. So we're all worthy, but none are deserving. And, and that's really the beauty of the gospel, and I was getting all fired up about that and excited to share that with you, and I'm going to share it just a little bit, because that's, that's grace. That's amazing. Who doesn't want to talk about grace? Like, we all need it desperately. And none of us are more or less worthy than anybody else, and none of us are more or less deserving. We are all declared worthy by Jesus, and none of us are deserving of His blessing. And that's what I was planning to preach on. And yet, this week, as I was preparing for that, it was like verse 8 kept coming to mind. It's like, there's something there. That's the message. That's the sermon. There's something in verse 8. So I reviewed it a little bit more. And here's what stood out to me from verse 8. It's the centurion saying through his servant, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to this servant, do this, and he does it. And it occurred to me, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are all under authority. Maybe you notice that as the title of this message, under authority. And so the question is, do we go? Do we come? Do we say this? Do we do that when Jesus says to? And maybe a follow up question would be how much? How often? How sincerely, how passionately do we do what Jesus says to do? Do we go where Jesus says to go? Do we say what Jesus says to say? How much? And then maybe a second follow-up question would be, is it different than a year ago? Is it more often, more passionately, more sincerely than a year ago or five years ago? Is our answer to that question becoming more and more? Are we doing discipleship? Are we becoming who Jesus would be if he were me? Are we getting more and more in line? Because i got to be honest with you. I do this, and then sometimes I don't even make it to breakfast before I lose my mind and lose my temper and blow my top. And I'm like, well, Jesus wouldn't do that. Other days I make it to lunch. <laughs> and, and I don't know why food is always involved. It's not. Sometimes I make it to traffic, Right? <laughs> and you're shaking your fist at some stranger that doesn't even know they cut you off, and you're like, Jesus would not be doing this. Sometimes I make it all the way to the end of the day, and my head hits the pillow, and I say, praise the Lord. I don't think I took any hard left turns, Jesus. I think, like, we were close today. We, we made it through a whole day without me losing my mind. It's Funny, he's never the issue. I'm always the issue. Then I start another 24 cycle, and wherever your 24 cycle is, maybe you're a morning person, maybe you're an evening person, maybe you're a lunchtime person, but every 24 hours, coming back, refreshing that relationship, spending that time, what do you want to say to me today? And I love the question at the bottom of the page, how will I be different today because of what I have read? What's going to change in my life because of what I have read? And so if your answer to that question is, yes, I'm, I'm closer to Jesus than I was a year ago and five years ago, and when I met him, I'm closer, I'm, I'm on this track of, of narrowing that gap, then I would say, please, come alongside somebody else and help them in that journey. That's disciple-making. If you're learning to live how Jesus would if he were you, I guarantee you he would be making disciples. That was his number one priority. And that truth hit me square in the face. It's like, yeah, I preach sermons, and I lead groups, and I lead the church, and I do all these things, but am I spending time with a small group of people making disciples? And I know Jesus would if he were me, so I fixed that last year. And and I want to encourage you to do the same, to spend the time in his word, to spend the time in the journal, to get into a group. Because if you're not, Then I just want to ask, why not? Like, what's holding you back? Spend some time with that. Engage that question. I'm not here to do guilt or shame. That's not how I work. That's not how he works. That's not how God works. That's not how his word works. That's how his enemy works. But that's not how he works. So it's not about guilt or shame. It's about, why not? What is getting in the way? Is there something that I can identify? Is it that I don't feel worthy? Do you realize that this centurion didn't just send a servant? He sent Jewish leaders to Jesus first. We don't meet the centurion in this account. He sends Jewish leaders to try to convince Jesus that the centurion is worth Jesus' time. I don't think he felt worthy. And then he sends a messenger to say, I'm not worthy for you to come under my house. Just say the word. Just say the word. He didn't feel like he was worthy. And I think sometimes people don't feel like they're worthy. Like, God doesn't want to spend time with me. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He wants to spend time with you every single day through your word, through prayer, through journaling, through your group. He wants to spend time with you. Maybe it's the flip side. Maybe it's you feel too deserving. I don't need to do that. I'm covered by the blood. I don't need to spend time in his word. I'm going to heaven when I die. What's all this all about? Why does he keep telling me to read my Bible? I don't want to read my Bible. It doesn't make sense to me. All these other excuses that we pile up. Maybe it's one of those two. I think for the majority of us, and I know what is the case in my life, it was just too busy, preoccupied, distracted, going too many directions, it was funny, when I wrote that out, I, I was reminded of Duck Dynasty. Any Duck Dynasty fans? Anybody remember when Duck Dynasty was all the rage, and it was all over the internet, and it was all over TV? And there was an episode that I watched, and it was Jace, one of the brothers, and they were doing a little interview, and he's like, I think, I think the other brother, one of the other brothers, had stopped hunting and fishing to put more em- emphasis on the, on the business. And he said, if you're too busy to go hunting and fishing... You're too busy. <laughs> you know, and it was just that simple. And I remember at the time, and it came back to mind it's like, if you're too busy for Bible reading and prayer, you're too busy. Like, you're too busy. And something's got to change. Something needs to be cut out of your life to put first things first. Because we're either overcommitted on our schedule or undercommitted in our faith, or a nasty combination of the two. And one of the highlights of my year, one of the highlights of 2020 for me, was when one of the busiest people I know said, I need to do this. I need to lead a group. Could we meet for breakfast? I don't have time to make it to the training, but if you meet with me for breakfast, I will talk through this with you. I will get my head around this. I will start a group. And it's been awesome. It's been awesome to see the ripple effect of that. And so I want to encourage you, like, Maybe the bottom line will encourage you. Maybe the bottom line will step on your big toe. But that's part of my job description. It's right in there, like halfway down the first page. Step on people's toes. I'm supposed to. So here's the bottom line. Disciples of Jesus are under the authority of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus are under authority of Jesus, just like this centurion recognized with his own servants. And he put himself under authority, and that's what impressed Jesus so much that he was amazed. So I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Disciples of Jesus are living under the authority of Jesus, and Jesus really wants you to be under his authority, under the authority of his word, under the authority of his Holy Spirit. And so, I don't know how you feel about New Year's resolutions. I personally like them. It's a turn of the page. It gives me some energy, some impetus to make some decisions, to make some commitments. I got a little fluffy in late 2020. I gained about 15 pounds from the summer. I want to get back to my summer weight before summer. There's a New Year's resolution. I got a little lax in a couple of other areas. I make a New Year's resolution. I make it specific. I make it measurable. I make it attainable. I make it relevant and time. That's a smart goal, S-M-A-R-T. Maybe you've heard about that before. Somebody's smiling. They know all about smart goals. Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant time. Don't make your goal, your New Year's resolution, to be more spiritual. That's not specific. That's not measurable. That's, maybe it's attainable. Maybe it's not. It's not relevant necessarily because it's not specific, And you don't have a time set on that. Here's a good smart goal read one chapter of Scripture every day and soap journal four times a week. Is that specific? Yeah. Is that attainable? Probably. You're talking about an hour a week of journaling and maybe 20 to 30 minutes a week of Bible reading. You can even play it on your audio Bible while you take a shower. That'll count. I said so. (laughs) A chapter a day and a journal four times a week. And maybe she's like, Well, Pastor Mark, I'm already there. Okay, then join a group. Well, I'm already in a group. But then lead a group. Well, I'm already leading a group. Well then lead another one. I don't care. Take the next step. That's the important thing. Like we plateau so quickly as believers. We like work hard and we step out in faith and we get here and we're like, Oh, it's nice here. And then we stay here. And I think God is always saying, no, take the next step and then take the next step after that and then take the next step after that. Who knows? You might plant a church in five years if you just keep taking the next step and I might have just scared you out of starting. I hope not. Because we need more disciple makers. We need more disciple making churches. And I think God's starting something here and I'm excited about it. And it's not going away. (laughs) 2021 is going to be a focus on disciple making. And every sermon series is going to be oriented around that. And I am excited about what God is going to do, and I hope you'll join us. So what's your next step? Will you take it in faith? I hope so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for your word. Thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. Thank you so much for loving us so much that you're not content to just leave us to ourselves, make us figure it out on our own, that you love us enough to speak to us, If We will just listen. And so I pray, Lord, that we will be a people who listen, a people who show up every day eager to hear what you have to say to us through your word, through your still small voice, through a discipleship group, through your messages on Sunday. Lord, that we would have itching ears for your word. That we would respond in faith to it every time we hear it. I pray for next steps to be taken right now, steps of faith. I pray that people will respond in faith to your spirit and that you'll create something powerful and beautiful, world-changing through simple acts of faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.